What is medical tourism? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Joseph Woodman, president of the Healthy Travel Company and author of Patients Beyond Borders, a comprehensive guide to medical travel. Mr. Woodman, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Hello, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. What is medical tourism? Oh, good first question. It's not in the dictionary yet, so that's the first question we had to ask ourselves when we began to research the book almost three years ago. And we arrived at a definition around the treatment and procedures involving a patient who had been diagnosed and was seeking a procedure and willing to travel across borders to get that procedure. Uh, There's another term called health tourism, which uh, is much more overarching, which involves patients crossing borders for wellness, preventive care, uh, the lassotherapy, medispas, etc. And those are often referred to as health tourists. But a, a medical tourist, uh, by the way, we don't like that term very much. We can get into that later. We define as someone who needs a medical procedure. Well, we could get into that now. Why don't you like that name? Contemporary medical tourism began, actually the term grew out of India. The Indian government coined it some two and a half years ago. And it began with a kind of a fun-in-the-sun approach, uh, go have cosmetic surgery and then enjoy a great vacation. And our research very quickly showed us that that's not what medical travel is all about, especially when you have something even the slightest bit invasive, even a tooth extraction, never mind a heart surgery or an orthopedic procedure. We see medical travel more like business travel. You don't hear of a business traveler being referred to as a business tourist. So a medical traveler has a specific goal in mind. Uh, They want to take care of their bodies. They want to focus on their procedure, on their uh, successful recovery. And most folks, vacation is the last thing they have in mind, especially with a more invasive surgery. They want to get back home, and they want to be with their, their families. How prevalent is medical tourism? Well, it's it's definitely growing. At worldwide, approximately uh, 1 million patients travel cross borders for some kind of a, of a procedure. It's uh, very prevalent in the Middle East, Africa, Eastern Europe, where there just isn't the kind of uh, infrastructure that's available. For example, in Singapore, which has a great uh, health services environment and infrastructure, some 70% of their patients come in from from the immediate region, Indonesia, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, China, where the the medical infrastructure just simply doesn't exist to serve those folks. Here in the United States, about 150,000 people last year traveled abroad for one procedure or another. About 40,000 of those crossed borders into Mexico for for dentistry, mostly from the uh, populated centers near the borders, Los Angeles, San Diego, Tucson, Phoenix, Another 40,000 travel for cosmetic surgery into Central and South America mostly and Mexico. And then another 70,000, and this is probably the fastest growing sector, are heading mostly to Southeast Asia for some of the more expensive invasive diagnoses and, and treatments, including orthopedics, cardiology, and oncology. Those are the three main, main reasons that sector heads to broad. Is this driven by cost? Largely, yes. Cost is the overriding factor. There's something like 46 million uninsured Americans. There's another 30 million that are underinsured or only partially insured. And with the rising costs of medical care in this country, 
it puts everyone in a, in a tough position, but it puts a lot of people, particularly in the lower middle class and upper working class, in potentially financially ruinous positions with the prospects of shelling out sixty, seventy, eighty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars at retail for a procedure. So yes, I, I think given the choice, most people would rather stay at home with their families and and be in a in a, in a, in a, in a uh, be in a comfortable environment, not get on a plane uh, for twenty two hours or thirty hours and far away from home. But the the economic realities are driving medical travel, and it's growing in the United States at about 15 to 20 percent a year. Give us some examples of cross-border price savings on medical care. In Patients Beyond Borders, we did quite a bit of research. Uh, These are not, these are thumbnails. These are averages. And only for the purposes of comparison, we're, we're very careful to point that out in the book, but Procedures such as a heart bypass, where you've got a U.S. cost of 130,000, in India it's 10,000, Thailand 11,000, Singapore 18,500, Malaysia 9,000. Hip replacement 43,000 in the U.S., India 9,000, Thailand 12,000, Singapore 12,000, Malaysia 10,000. A angioplasty 57,000 in the U.S., 11,000 in India, 13,000 in Thailand, 13,000 in Singapore. 11,000 Malaysia. So savings of somewhere between 30 and 80 percent. Dentistry, uh, we like to encourage people to stay closer to home because the dental services and the dental infrastructure in Costa Rica, South America, and Mexico uh, allow for that. And those savings are also 30 to 70 percent. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me is Joseph Woodman, president of the Healthy Travel Company and author of Patients Beyond Borders, discussing medical tourism. Mr. Woodman, what are the risks of medical tourism? There's two ways to answer that question. I think for us, our research shows that the main risk for medical travelers and the main thing that gets people in trouble is being uninformed. I know that's a general statement, but to the extent that a, a patient does his or her homework and is an informed healthcare consumer, asks the right questions that they would normally ask on the domestic front about the hospital, the, the kinds of credentials that hospital has earned, the uh, physicians and surgeons, uh, the success rates of a particular procedure within that hospital, the mortality rates, the accreditation, the credentials of a particular surgeon, and gaining uh, a relationship with that surgeon and that group that's going to be working on them, all of those uh, help to reduce the risk and to pave the way for a successful medical trip. As far as uh, risks related to the procedure, probably the biggest risk is afterwards uh, the risk of complication and that's something that in the right hospital and the right environment can be managed well from afar unless the patient's just simply too sick to travel. What feedback have you received from medical tourists? Mostly, I have to say that medical tourists tend to return to the U.S. somewhat evangelical. I can walk, I can see. They mostly are surprised by the cultural transparency that they experience in these hospitals. I think most people at least the early medical travelers two and three years ago, were forced overseas by cost constraints. And I think a good number of them were absolutely terrified. Many of them were in chronic pain. They'd been in chronic pain from sports injuries or war injuries. And they just were not expecting that the level of customer care, uh, the cleanliness in the hospitals, 
the level of English spoken in some of these hospitals, especially the ones in India, Singapore, Thailand, etc. So what we've experienced are people that come back and they're, they're just getting first rate. We get very few folks that, that come back disappointed. I think as medical tourism grows as a phenomenon, it becomes more of a mass market phenomenon, I think it's going to be tougher for these hospitals to keep up and to provide that level of service. So now's a good time to be going. What do you mean by cultural transparency? Well, that was one of the benchmarks that we used. I mean, we, we naively, when we started researching the book, we cited 50 target countries that we were going to expose as medical travel destinations. And we very quickly pared that down to 22 destinations in 14 countries. And one of the benchmarks we used was cultural transparency. In other words, is it a culturally familiar environment? And to the extent that it just isn't, we made decisions sometimes to actually eliminate countries altogether. So is English spoken? That's the main, that, if there's a language barrier, probably that's the main barrier to successful medical travel. It is not the time to be boning up on one's Spanish or Portuguese when someone is trying to be, have a successful medical procedure abroad. So English is very important. So Singapore ranks very, very high because English is almost universally spoken in Singapore, whether you're in a taxi cab or you're in a hospital. Uh, Mexico, unfortunately, is a little lower, and Brazil is, is kind of off the map unless you're, you know, a well-heeled Beverly Hills person traveling to a specific cosmetic clinic in Rio. Do these destinations advertise? How do they make themselves known? Mostly it's referral and word of mouth. The web, of course, has been a huge enabler. JCI has been a, a huge enabler. We recommend in Patients Beyond Borders that people look toward those internationally accredited hospitals. There's no sense in looking for needles in haystacks. And while JCI uh, is not the final word on accreditation, we think that JCI, as an American brood organization, should give a lot of comfort to a lot of Americans. And JCI stands for? Joint Commission International. It grew out of JCO 10 years ago and began to uh, allow international hospitals to throw their hat in the ring and become accredited under the same types of standards that JCO accredits American hospitals. So to date, when we started researching the book, there were less than 40 JCI-accredited hospitals. Now there's over 130, and there'll be 200 by the end of next year. Does your book guide a medical tourist through the homework that they need to do? Oh, absolutely. That's We dedicate four chapters to planning the medical trip, budgeting the medical trip, what to do while you're there, what to do after you return home, we have chapters on companions joining a patient, which we strongly endorse. And it's, it's not an easy task, and it's not for everyone. We estimate that it takes anywhere from 40 to 100 hours of additional research for a medical tourist to get to the point where they should feel a comfort level in heading abroad. What led to your interest in this area? Well, two things. I'm a publisher by trade, and when we sold our company to International Thompson in 1995, we used a, a good chunk of the proceeds to establish a website, which was actually one of the first wellness sites. It actually preceded Dr. Coop and WebMD. It's a profile-driven site that sold wellness and preventive health information to insurance companies, employers, and hospitals. And we sold that in, in the year 2000, but it left me with a, a number of questions about where the healthcare system in our country was going. And I was specifically left with that statistic that by the year 2005, the health care bill was going to be $2 trillion. And I saw that as an economy buster and knew that certain things were going to have to change one way or the other. No one knew how they were going to change, and to this day they don't. 
How can listeners learn more? Well, the web offers a good opportunity, but you have to do a lot of deep research. Uh, we compiled a great deal of, of research. I think Patients Beyond Borders provides one great way to learn a good deal more. Our website is patientsbeyondborders.com. There's also another book that just uh, was published called Medical Tourism in Developing Countries, if I'm not mistaken. just came off the press, and it's an economist's view of medical travel, and I think the professional side of the industry would benefit from that book as well. Mr. Woodman, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss medical tourism. Well, thank you, and we hope your physicians benefit from increased knowledge about this important arena. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>